Greetings. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody's healthy tonight. In light of the national news, I, I realize it's a very uh, serious time, and uh, I want to uh, keep focus on uh, both the seriousness of the time and the seriousness of this subject. So uh, I wanted to bring attention again to the Eisenhower administration and uh, its its importance to the subject at uh, the very top of the uh, it's like secrecy today, yeah, the secrecy level of uh, everything is just uh, in in the president uh, Eisenhower's hands at that time, and uh, the 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 accomplishments of this this book that I have uh, referred to I I, I can never uh, recommend it enough. It's uh, the Presidents and UFOs by Larry Holcomb, and I'm going to read a few uh, pieces from it which I think are important because the, uh, the significance of the, uh, the beginning of this observance by these, these craft and how this subject wound up uh, classified top secret is uh, all part of my, uh, my reason for, for getting involved in this podcast because it's not an easy subject to comprehend and, and swallow, and uh, there's a lot of parts to it. Sort. And uh, sorting it all out is, uh, has been a quest of mine, uh, which I, I, I should have given up if uh, I, I saw uh, nothing to it, but I did see something that was being held uh, from the public, uh, and, I, and I said to myself, uh, hmm, I'm going to look into this a little deeper. So it led me to uh, accumulate a lot of uh, books and information on the subject, and I got deeper and deeper. And I, I was recommended by someone to uh, uh, meet with a producer, and I, I did a, uh, a documentary pilot, which never got to fruition, uh, but uh, it, it did uh, give me more inspiration to pursue and so I started uh, giving lectures on the subject. And, uh, you know, I, I consider the subject really strong um, in, in the fact that it's uh, there is pay dirt there when you do a lot of reading and studying about different uh, repetitional uh, events that uh, lead you to think that there's something here that's not being uh, talked about too much. It's just uh, keeps they keep pushing it under the rug. So... When when I, I I came across these books that 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 confirmed uh, one another because there were more and more writers uh, studying the subject, and then I, I come across books that uh, were written by really really diligent uh, investigators like Stan Friedman and uh, Coral Lorison who started APRO and uh, Bud Hopkins, who did a lot of work on uh, the subject. It's, it just leads you to see that there's, uh, there's something there that's being hidden, a very slick cover-up. So uh, in this book, uh, The Presidents and UFOs, the, the beginning area of the subject, which involves Truman and Eisenhower and the, trans, uh, the transformation of this information from the administrations to... The future administrations and how how the subject uh, would be restricted and uh, how it would be handling the secrecy of not letting people take the subject serious 
and uh, the repercussions of uh, keeping the secret is uh, caused a lot of problems because it looks like they're lying. And uh, despite the uh, the attention that they have given to create a, uh, a how would how would you say a uh, a screen of uh, disinformation a facade. And, yeah, it's a it's a uh, you know an effort to create a an illusion that the subject is fake, and uh, you can mm-hmm. you can you can see the involvement of um, the CIA uh, when you start to read about how how critical it was for the government to keep this subject from being taken serious. It's that plausible so, deniability. Yes, you have a if you give that human mind an out, you know, uh, okay, I can latch onto that. So that's cool i don't have to contemplate this anymore i'll take that one <laughs> during the during world war ii the the a lot of the, the procedures and and uh, techniques that were were employed employed were actually uh, used on this subject too mm-hmm. because the um the words and the uh, the vagueness of using print versus using words no written nothing written down that's these are ways to uh, limit the uh, information and uh, the word compartmentalization was a word that was used uh, to describe the uh, events that were taking place on the Manhattan Project since there were so many people working on the project uh, you would assume that uh, somebody would be uh, talking about it to their neighbors and to their friends. But uh, from what I understand, there were up to 50,000 people, if not more, working on the, uh, the atomic bomb. And so it had a high, high level of uh, security and everybody working on the, the project and People on the uh, military side, of course, were very secretive about this subject. And uh, when the Roswell crash occurred in New Mexico in 1947, the closeness of this craft that crashed to the location of the Roswell Army Air Corps, which was holding the atomic uh, plane, the Enola Gay, which was to take the bomb to Hiroshima. So the secrecy uh, around this whole base was really intense. I mean, everything from eating lunch to uh, to the top was uh, considered classified. So when um, the people that were at the uh, 509th had to uh, get involved in the subject, it became really quite a, a subject uh, of... Uh, well, when you think of secrecy, you think of mil- military... Inte- military intelligence should and is probably the highest level. I mean, the, the most robust, I would think. Yeah, we. I mean, we. you know, you, you, you know, the population is full of good people and bad people, you know, and uh, despite the, the, the sensitivity of uh, working with people that don't know how to handle uh, classified material... We do have people that do know how to handle, and these people work in the Pentagon. These people work in the National Security Agency, and uh, you don't hear much about them. You know, you hear about the 
the people on the side. Yeah, but, it's leaky, leaky these days. Yes, it? and uh, information that leaked out oh, well, in the 80s that came out to yeah. uh, bring the, uh, the Majestic 12 uh, Eisenhower briefing documents to light really caused an uproar because uh, it so started good, to... It was good leaking. It was good a good leak. A lot of, there was a lot of good leaking. <laughs> and that leak was... Uh, was really the according to uh, people that I've spoken to and uh, people in the business that uh, study this subject uh, all the time, <laughs> they feel that uh, this is the most classified subject the uh, the government really has. Uh, what what could be higher than uh, a visitation from a extraterrestrial civilization? So, come we come back to this. Uh, piece that I'm going to uh, read about Eisenhower and uh, his position during the uh, the last uh, months or the last year of the war of the war and how his uh, his commanding officers were appointing him to a higher position and he eventually became the supreme allied commander and uh, eventually became the president and um during this time, he was definitely involved in the uh, Manhattan Project. He was definitely in the loop. And as I read forward here, um, you'll 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 hear how he uh, was definitely involved in this uh, very closely. On uh, in June 1942, George Marshall, who was a uh, another uh, general in the uh, military, appointed Eisenhower to command the European Theater of Operations, and Eisenhower moved to London. From that date until 1961, Eisenhower would be be a world figure and the guardian of some of the most highly classified issues of those times. It is almost certain that he was in the loop of knowledge of the Manhattan Project after becoming Supreme Allied Commander. His strict enforcement of security issues is well known, and he relieved a number of officers, some of his friends, some of... of, So he he fired folks. Yeah, he was a real (laughs) toughie. He was uh, strict on violating, uh, stricting uh, security codes. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to pinpoint the exact date that Eisenhower became aware of these mysterious aerial craft that would in years come to be known as flying saucers and UFOs. It is reasonable to believe that if the memos between General Marshall and Roosevelt at the L.A. air raid are factual. Now, let me just stop right there. The L.A. raid was a uh, a sighting of a UFO over the California coast, which caused a lot of um, military uh, cannons and um, aircraft uh, to fire on these uh, objects that were hovering over the L.A. area. And uh, a lot of attention was... Uh, they, they was given to this because they weren't sure what was going on here because these things were just uh, not moving, and they were staying there. Stationary. And stationary, and uh, 
<laughs> you know, it, it just caused a lot of problems for the government. So it's one thing to, to hover; it's another thing to just be in the same exact spot <laughs> and see, and keep taking the the bombardment. You know, without any uh, repercussions. I mean, you think that the thing would be destroyed and would be uh, crashing, but no, this thing kept staying there in the area, and nothing helped. Nothing uh, happened. As a fact, General Marshall has shared the assistant, this intelligence with, with one of his senior and trusted commanders, a man who would soon become supreme commander of Allied forces. It is also reasonable to think that Eisenhower would have been kept abreast of the puzzling Foo Fighter mystery reported by bomber crews and fighter pilots from both war theaters. Now, Foo Fighter is a term that was used to identify these uh, unidentified objects. Uh, balls of light, I think the word is in, in French. That's the, the translation. And the, uh, the word has been accepted by uh, a rock group today, and uh, they use the word, so it gets a lot of publicity. But... Uh, that's uh, that's why I mentioned. Uh, I, don't know where the, I don't know if everybody knows what it, it means. It sounds more like food fighter, right? Yeah, but uh, people that know the band know that it's an F O O. So anyway, so the release of Defense of Ministry documents in the UK introduced a letter from an unnamed scientist sent to the Ministry of Defense in 1999 requesting information on a UFO cover-up authorized by Winston Churchill in the late stages of World War II. Wait, a UFO cover-up authorized by Winston Churchill? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, you got to like these little letters that pop up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this writer did a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of <laughs> reading, digging. a lot of digging. He found some interesting information. Mm -hmm. In the letter, the scientist said that his grandfather was a member of the Royal army uh air royal force. air force and and one of churchill's bodyguards the grandfather had stated that he was present at a meeting where churchill and eisenhower discussed an encounter of a raf mosquito bomber reconnaissance aircraft had with the ufo near the english coastline after being briefed on the event churchill reported to have said to eisenhower quote this event should be immediately classified as it would create mass panic amongst the general population and destroy one's belief in the church, unquote. Regardless of, of when he found out, by the end of the war, Eisenhower was a member of a very small group of people who knew that the airspace of countries around the world were being invaded by aerial craft of unknown origin. Isn't, uh, isn't that interesting? The uh, um, um, so way this is all okay. taking place before the Roswell crash. I mean, this is taking place during the wartime, and and like I had said in previous episodes, uh, the these sightings of these craft seem to have begun when we started detonating these atomic bombs all over the. Uh, planets and not all over the planet but uh, in in the testing stages before it was dropped on oh, Hiroshima on planet, yeah yeah the, the testing stages were I mean it's a, it wasn't just a few droppings of these bombs we were dropping them underground we were dropping them underwater they were exploding in in, 
in a lot of places. So um, the, when the time came to consolidate the, uh, the work and had a couple on his mountainside that he explained. <laughs> and when they finally got to the point where they had a, a deliverable weapon, you know, and it was mounted onto the Enola gate, this uh, became very uh, significant for the government, the United States, uh, the, the United States was in, you know, uh, Roosevelt drops dead and Truman takes over. Now he's got to make a decision. Uh, should we drop this bomb? And uh, the consensus between the, uh, the military was that the, uh, the war would be uh, continuing if uh, the, uh, the enemy didn't want to surrender. So the advice was to uh, drop the bomb. And here, and here we are in the year 2022, and we have a situation in our modern day now we have a, a threat of using weapons of mass destruction to get his way. That's why I find this uh, very, uh, I don't know, prophetic that it's, uh, it, it, we're on the verge of uh, knowing in a few days if this, uh, this uh, game that uh, the Russian government is the playing match that's going on. Yeah, I mean, is this going to get any worse, or is it going to end in a in a stalemate, or could it develop into something much more serious? And that's my concern. Um, the use of these weapons that we have have been an interest of these objects too, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes. And, and that's uh, interesting because that's you, you, you know you start off with Eisenhower mm -hmm. and being in the military, you know, general in the Air Force. Um, you're just making a case and actually showing proof. You've read proof that he knew about some stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just it just falls into place when you when you put all the little the little connecting points. Uh, yeah. Well, you know that we, we played some Eisenhower in previous. Uh, we, uh, we, I think we we did an episode earlier episode on Eisenhower, and we also talked did the episode on presidents. Mm -hmm. yeah, tr and Truman, you know, uh, Truman was a uh, a tickler, a stickler on on security. Also, I mean, I, think uh, he was, I heard he was a tickler too. He uh, he uh, he was also trying to persuade um, Eisenhower to uh, to switch bodies. And uh, uh, I don't know that I don't know thinking or something, right? Yeah, I don't know. It was it involved the switching of his thinking, but uh, he did want to switch uh, him to switch parties, but uh, he didn't want to. And uh, he, excuse me, he also had a uh, a discouraging view of the uh, what he called the military industrial complex. Yeah, and he gave a speech, a great speech, what I think. Uh, because he was able to discuss his uh, disappointment in the, uh, the the things that could develop as a result of all this secrecy. And without revealing his uh, connection to the knowledge of uh, the subject being put under close uh scrutiny at, at military bases and labs across the uh, country. You know, the back engineering that took place after the Roswell crash 
was vital to the American military uh, offensive uh, capabilities. So the quicker we could find out how to utilize this uh, magical hardware that we've uh, taken control of, the better we would be in, in, uh, in uh, the position of power and strength. And so his disappointment was uh, conveyed in the speech, and uh, we'll, we'll let you hear this. It's, a, uh, it's hard to uh, pick out the little TikTok words that are in the speech, but they, they do uh, they hint at something that he's discouraged about. So, yeah, uh, and these old speeches are in the, the U.S. National Archives. Um, but this is a, there's some commentary here. I'm actually, uh, this is off of News Voice on YouTube, the News Voice channel. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, it's, there's some good commentary here, so I just included that as well. Check it out. I come to you with a message of leave-taking and farewell. This speech did not get very much attention. When a new president is coming to power, as John Kennedy was, the spotlight was not on Dwight Eisenhower. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. There was a feeling at the time that this must have been written by some speechwriter who just sneaked into the speech. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Three months ago, uh, we got contacted by a family up in Minnesota saying that we have documents from Malcolm Moose. He was responsible in, in part for drafting the military-industrial complex speech. These new papers give us written evidence that this was not just some caprice of Eisenhower's or something by some speechwriter. You see the evolution of the speech from, from May 1959 to, uh, 1961. I wanted to give this speech for a long time, two years. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. There was one person Dwight Eisenhower's life whom he really confided almost everything to, and that was his brother Milton. One particular document where the speech writers had already drafted their version of this speech, only to, to see uh, Milton come along and totally revamp what had already been, been written. When Milton Eisenhower was uh, taking notes and writing things on the drafts of these speeches, the speechwriters knew that it wasn't Milton talking, it was Ike. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. You see magazines with advertisements for some you know, new warplane or some bomb, and he got so angry he'd take the magazine and throw it into the fireplace of the Oval Office because he felt that defense spending should not be something that would be encouraged by companies who are seeking commercial gain. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. There is an interesting document shows that the farewell speech will be made to Congress. But yet, President Eisenhower decided, no, he was going to address the people. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. One test of how well a president speaks is how long the speech lives. Here we are 50 years later, we're still talking about this speech. Now, on Friday noon, I am to become a private citizen. 
I am proud to do so. I look forward to it. Thank you, and good night. There you have it. There you have it. That's one of the old presidents warning us a long time ago. Mm -hmm. A man who would not, he would not jeopardize his uh, security uh, oath, which is to uh, abide by the laws of the United States. And uh, he hinted at the, uh, the power that this military industrial complex uh, would uh, advocate the, uh, the, the power to control things from a, uh, what I call a silent government, an invisible government of incredible power. And they would monitor this, this subject to the nth degree. It would control, be controlled through the CIA and through the, the press would be controlled by individuals who would be in that uh, department uh, of uh, releasing information. The uh, Freedom of Information Act was designed to uh, compartmentalize information, and it would have limits. And although the public was entitled to get this information, there were limits on that. And that those limits were were imposed uh, by the National Security Review Board. And uh, in the seventies, there was a, uh, a class action suit against the CIA and the Freedom of Information Act documents that were eventually released and were all blackened out. Hmm. And that blacked out information was uh, amazing to see. Uh, line after line after line. I mean, it's one thing to see one word, you know, blacked out or hidden, but when you see uh, a whole page... I think only the word the was revealed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> an, uh, a, a small little fraction of a sentence, no, which it's is like never... Black book, which never is going to reveal anything, but th this class action suit was so strong and the, uh, the, uh, the attorneys that were helping to try to release that information were, uh, were hit with a, a subpoena by the, uh, the government and uh, the judge who was going to uh, decide on whether this uh, information could be released uh, was also told that uh, he would be put in jeopardy should he be made aware of what was the reason for not releasing this information. I mean, there's a, a lot of detail on the, the secrecy of the uh, release of this information that was being objected uh, to by this uh, private group called uh, the Citizens Against UFO Secrecy. And uh, it, it was the essence of a, a couple of books. And uh, I have those books, and they, they document the effort to get these these uh, pieces of uh, information, which were highly important to uh, the subject. And uh, what they did release was, was, was more important because it just showed you that they were hiding something. Just by the fact that they were blacking out all these sentences, you, you, you ask yourself, why is this all stuff blacked out? I mean, 
what, what, what's so bad about telling us about this subject? Why can't you talk about it? So the deeper they, they go into hiding things, the more people want to know. And uh, I uh, spoke to uh, a lot of people in this field. I've been on uh, TV. I did an interview with a uh, public service uh, television network out in Long Island, and I've done a number of lectures, which brings me to the uh, awareness that uh, there are people out there that want to know more about this subject. And uh, Well, one of them was Hillary Clinton, like we talked about last oh, last yeah. one. And, yeah, uh, Hillary. <laughs> she, you <laughs> she know, I, press. I, I have uh, never seen. Never seen. A, I haven't. I haven't like seen a UFO, <laughs> but but I, I certainly uh, don't envy uh, people that have because they seem to have had a uh, troublesome time after encountering these objects, especially the the ones that have incurred uh, at a close hand. Yeah, luckily, you know. mine was far enough away. Thank yeah, goodness. stay away. But. Um, you know, flashing back to the these earlier days, uh, mm-hmm. or the days of Eleanor Roosevelt, mm-hmm. uh, another first lady who, mm-hmm. according to uh, the book UFOs and the White House, which is uh, by Burns and Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and that books. William Burns also, mm-hmm. just to, to throw a, a, a clue in, he's the co-author of the book The Day After Roswell. Oh, right. Which was a, a very big... Uh, uh, pretty seller. acclaimed book as yeah, well. Yeah, very good book. So he has a lot of notoriety and uh, stature mm-hmm. on these topics. But um, Eleanor Roosevelt's belief in UFOs. There were enough UFO stories circulating around the White House in the Department of War. The Department of War, huh? Mm-hmm. During the Roosevelt administration to pique the First Lady's interest in this subject. But as First Lady, and with enough on FDR's plate in terms of fighting the war in Europe and in the South Pacific, the last thing the country needed was a press report that she had a belief in the presence of extraterrestrials. <laughs> That'd be a slight distraction, right? However, after the news broke and and then was retracted in July 1947, I'm going to reread that, after the news broke and then was retracted in July 1947, that the Army Air Force had gotten its hands on a crash flying saucer outside of Roswell, New Mexico, and with the formation of a top-secret study group to study the UFO phenomena and make reports to the president about the nature of these phenomena, former First Lady began to take a stronger interest in the subject. Interesting, right? And, you know, we know that at that time, this is kind of the beginning of these things kind of be becoming publicly mm-hmm. uh, seen having, yeah, showing up in the public. And, um, and, and so the secrecy wasn't as tight and little things would leak out. And here's some of that right here, you know, also because early in the 12th century, a circle of Russian women, self-professed psychics believed that there was a mystical force called the Vril that was empowering. Uh, what's that? The 20th century, the early 20th century. You said the 12th. Ah, sorry. (laughs) Let me try that again. So continuing, also because early in the 20th century, uh, a circle of Russian women, self-professed psychics, believed that there was a mystical force called the Vril, V-R-I-L. That was an empowering human force that flowed through the universe and that human beings who could utilize the force um, psychically were thus empowered. Early Nazi 
propagandists sought the origins of this force. Combining the theory of the Vril with Helena Blavatsky's belief that the human race, that is, those who were Caucasian, came, I guess in her words, came to Earth from the planet um, Aldebaran, mm -hmm. and, uh, and the Aryan, Aryans uh, from the planet initially settled in uh, fuel. Cool. The Vril Society cool. ultimately turned into the Fuel Society and became the quasi-philosophical basis for the myth of the Aryan Ubermensch. Uh, uh, I said that the best I could. And we know how that turned out. Eleanor Roosevelt, by the 1950s, was fascinated by these theories of an alien race that came to the planet Earth to become the basis of humanity. And though the exploration, uh, and through the exploration of linguistic um, text, encouraged scholars to relate the nature of the linguistic text to the ancient belief in the presence of extraterrestrials on Earth. No, we've covered that in a few episodes. We may think that the prejudices, fears, and hateful racially destructive acts of the first half of the 20th century and the distorted scientific theories behind them died when World War II, uh, at the end of World War II. The passage of the Civil Rights and the Voting Rights Acts under President Johnson, and also um, we still think that today. However, in light of the 2016 presidential election, think again. Now, I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so the interesting, though, how you know, you know, can you imagine um, uh, the the um, the National Enquirer was around then that would have been, mm -hmm. it would have been in every grocery store shelf, right? But that seems to be like rumor had it that she believed in UFOs. And as president, you know, that was, that had to be distracting. Well, well, when, when Nancy Reagan was, uh, you know, talking about the, uh, the importance of uh, astrology and, and the making of decisions, uh, you know, she, she, she moved these, these thoughts over to her husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, he became quite interested in the uh, the subjects of uh, of his wife, and uh, he he had you know uh, incidences in his administration where he had, where he had to deal with this with this subject, and uh, we have a uh, a speech that he gave at the UN, which is very rarely uh, talked about, but uh, when you when you listen to it. In retrospect uh, to his um, position on uh, the subject, he was quite uh, amazed at this uh, subject, and uh, he kept his uh, mouth as quiet as he could, but yet he did speak at the UN, and uh, the delegation uh, heard this uh, speech about his uh, his uh, ability to see the earth as a uh, united place and united that, in the face of alien uh, uh, yeah an alien, alien threat up. yes and uh, he pointed this out at more than one uh, speech and uh, my partner has uh, pointed that out in his uh, collection <laughs> and uh, I don't know if we're going to play that tonight but uh, we have uh, that on our other podcast. The, yeah, the speech, the speech is really uh, worthy of listening to uh, over and over again because it really points out 
the position that he was in because he was saying something, but yet he wasn't saying something. Had he been open uh, mouth uh, as, a, as a person that doesn't want to keep a secret, uh, he wouldn't have uh, been looked at as a, uh, a man who could uh, keep a secret because it's important to keep secrets in the government. There's a need to know, and sometimes the public doesn't have the ability to handle truth. And uh, Where's that Jack Nicholson clip, right? Yeah, that, that, that statement in that film, you can't handle the truth. And, and boy, is that, that applicable to so many... <laughs> So many things in the in the world today. Um, we, we're trying to figure out what uh, what the position of this uh, leader now is doing in uh, Russia, and we hope that it doesn't lead to anything worse than it already has gotten itself into. But time will tell. Uh, the whole world is watching, and uh, hopefully, there's going to be some resolution to this. Because uh, the alternatives to uh, <laughs> to this getting bad is uh, right in front of us. So uh, hopefully we can uh, control it from getting out of hand. Makes me wonder, it, you know, if uh, if they're watching the nuclear trigger figures, trigger fingers, and yeah. stuff like that. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, how you do know, they they well, I guess if we were testing them, they could have seen it. You could probably detect that from who knows what they have, I mean, technology-wise. You know, with, 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 the, with the very fact that the United States government has used atomic weapons, it's almost like um, Moscow looks at this as, uh, well, you guys used it. Why can't I use it? You know? So this, this, this. Well, there's always that. I think this, from this, history, this theory doesn't really go far with me because. No, they, but you know when they, when tyrants are starting wars, they often evoke history. They oh, go sure. back much further than we should even allow them to. Yeah, they use it part of <laughs> we fall uh, for it of a of a verbal threat. You know, it's uh, just think of how how much damage this this virus has caused to the United States and the world without. Without a draw, without a bomb being dropped, you know. <laughs> yeah, the silent war. The silent war. The weapons of mass destruction can never be used, and uh, I guess the uh, the aliens may know this too. Uh, their interest in this uh, atomic power that uh, we we have has been observed, and I pointed this out many many times. They're snooping around these areas of uh, where we keep silos, where we have atomic power plants, everywhere that the nuclear reactors uh, reside, there seems to be an increase in sightings. So when you put all these things together, you, you're saying to yourself, well, are they interested in these objects, uh, in, these, uh, in these silos? Or do they want these... Uh, these uh, these power plants to explode? Are they? I mean, I don't understand why they're so asphyxiated to this, uh, to these these power uh, areas. Affixed or asphyxiated? Affixiated. Maybe <laughs> maybe they're maybe they're charging that's what, that's their. What uh, some of them need. Maybe they're charging their their craft with the uh, the, the vibrations from these these nuclear areas. Well, 
I do have another clip uh, from the UFOs Top Secret uh, Archives. From, Good. This is from uh, the Tonight Show. Um, oh, the uh, Carl Sagan piece. Yes. Yeah, this is really interesting. <laughs> is a new appreciation of Carl Sagan that so many people find way overdue. Armed with four degrees from the University of Chicago, try that in your spare time, Sagan was an astronomer, scientist, astrophysicist, a genuine public intellectual. He taught at Harvard and Cornell and was ahead of his time almost by definition. Jason Johnson called our attention to this clip on social media today. Here is Carl Sagan on Johnny Carson calling out a new movie called Star Wars for its faulty assumptions and lack of diversity. Star Wars starts out saying it's on some other galaxy. Right. And then you see there's people. And uh, scene, starting in scene one, there's a, there's a problem because human beings are the result of a unique evolutionary sequence based upon so many individually unlikely random events on the Earth. In fact, I think most evolutionary biologists would agree that if you started the Earth out again and just let those random factors operate, you might wind up with beings that are as smart as us and as ethical and artistic and all the rest, but they would not be human beings. That's for the Earth. So in another planet, different environment, yeah. very likely to have human beings. Are you saying on another galaxy, uh, it's not possible that there could be... It's extremely unlikely that uh, there would be creatures as similar to us as, uh, as the dominant ones in Star Wars and there's a whole bunch of other things. They're all white. The skin of uh, all the humans in uh, in Star Wars, oddly enough, is sort of like like this. Right. And uh, not even the uh, other colors represented on the Earth are present, much less uh, greens and blues and purples and oranges. They did have the scene of Star Wars with a lot of strange characters. Yeah, but none of them seem to be in charge of the galaxy. Everybody in charge of the galaxy seemed to look like us. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I thought that was a large amount of human chauvinism. And also, I felt very bad that at the end, the Wookiee didn't get a medal also. You know, all, all the people got medals, and the Wookiee who had been in there fighting all the time, he didn't get any medal. And I thought that was an example of anti-Wookiee discrimination. <laughs> How about that, Carl Sagan, advocate for Wookiees everywhere. As the noted astrophysicist Ron Popeil would say, but wait, there's more. Carl Sagan could not have predicted 2021, but he did see it coming. He wrote the following back in 1995, and we quote, I have a foreboding of an America in my children's or grandchildren's time when the United States is a service and information economy, when nearly all the manufacturing industries have slipped away to other countries, when awesome technological powers are in the hands of a very few, and no one representing the public interest can even grasp the issue. When the people have lost the ability to set their own agendas or knowledgeably question those in authority, when clutching our crystals and nervously consulting our horoscopes, our critical faculties in decline, unable to distinguish between what feels good and what's true, we slide almost without noticing back into superstition and darkness. The dumbing down of America is most evident in the slow decay of substantive content in the enormously influential media. The 30-second soundbites now down to 10 seconds or less. Lowest common denominator programming. Credulous presentations on pseudoscience and superstition. But especially a kind of celebration of ignorance. 
Roll that around for a while. Those were among his final published words. He died 10 months later. Here we are 25 years later realizing just what he was trying to tell us back then. That was on MSNBC. Yeah, Carl Sagan's one in a million. You know, he, uh, quite an amazing man, had a a great understanding of uh, man's place in the universe. And uh, his thesis, according to information that I've come across, uh, was on the the theory that uh, became known uh, in the future as the uh, chariots of the gods theory by Eric Von Daniken, and uh, he, uh, he did his thesis on the uh, Sumerian uh, texts, um, which uh, indicated to him that uh, the human DNA was uh, manipulated by this uh, advanced race, which uh, when you read the, uh, the book, Carl Sagan uh, censored, I think it's called censored or classified. It's got a big word across the front, but uh, it's an amazing book uh, on his early oh, days. Yeah, and, and he, he the book that um, uh, Brian, um, uh, <laughs> I forgot his last name. I don't watch the uh, mainstream media much anymore, but uh, at any rate, it was he was quoting the book uh, "The Demon Haunted World" by Carl Sagan. Mm-hmm. Scientific as a candle in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Science you know. as a candle, but uh, I have his book uh, "Contact," mm-hmm. and uh, he made a movie on uh, the subject, which was pretty pretty wild. That movie. It's uh, been forgotten a lot because he's been gone and all these things that uh, happened 25 years ago uh, uh, seem to have getting, uh, seem to get forgotten. <laughs> yeah. And that was like, that was just at the end of last year. It was Brian Williams. Uh, sorry about my football there, mm-hmm. but um, you know, the well-known <laughs> spokes uh, anchor guy, anchorman and um, quite a, um, quite some quotes there coming oh, yeah. out of his mouth. Oh yeah. He did a lot of work with NASA and, uh, the uh, the connection that he had with the uh, the subject was always that uh, he recommended um, mm-hmm. he recommended uh, incredible evidence to back up incredible facts. Oh yeah, that was his uh, that was his coining. He coined that. For yeah, he he, it he takes always incredible. Yeah, to support incredible to, facts, you got to have com- incredible evidence, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and that evidence does exist uh, if you. Uh, you follow my uh, recommendations uh, starts with the reading of the majestic 12 documents that uh, have leaked to the public. And uh, I can never uh, repeat how important it is for uh, the public to understand that um, this subject is classified top secret. It has remained top secret for decades and uh, it may have changed its name, but the Majestic 12 title still has the power that it had when it started. And uh, that's why we still haven't gotten the, the, the actual information that, that confirms the Roswell recovery and the uh, intense work on uh, back engineering this uh, craft. 
the subject uh, is hard to understand, and I will always repeat that the truth sometimes cannot be understood, <laughs> even when it's in front of your face. Top but, secret magic eyes only. Which has been designated as the highest classified operation in the United States. Two, two points higher than the Manhattan Project. This document has been prepared as a preliminary briefing only. It should be regarded as introductory to a full operations briefing intended to follow. Yeah, and, and, and another thing to, to point out uh, when, you, when you read these papers uh, called the Majestic uh, 12 uh, papers, the, uh, the way that the paper reads is very militarist, military uh, in nature. And uh, being that the first person on the list, uh, which was an admiral, would have a very similar um, approach to a, a subject that had to be uh, very carefully described. Yeah, I like the of, way it says copy one of one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the and the and the whole classification of the subject being top secret. I mean, it's not even put in a lower class of right in the beginning. It all it's automatically put in the top secret at the very beginning of the operation in, in the recovery part. In in September twenty fourth, nineteen forty seven, which is only what, two months after the Roswell crash? The subject was classified top secret. I mean, so they didn't waste any time. The Pentagon was quite sure that this subject could not be shared. Don't forget the world was just finishing up with a world war involving millions of people being killed. And uh, now we, we, sit on the, we sit on the brink of another situation today that could involve these these weapons, and uh, I find it very ironic that uh, any any leader of any country would even resort to using these weapons because immediately uh, doesn't work. These weapons are obsolete for use. They may sound interesting to a a uh, a military uh, person who thinks, "Oh, this is our." Our best weapon, we can command control over the population, but nope. These weapons are isolated. They they cause too much repercussions. There's no there's no good point to using them. No negotiation is the only way. And that's why maybe these these objects that are observing us are, are trying to point out that to us. You know, in, in their avoidance of uh, just coming down and landing. The last paragraph of the Majestic 12 document, which really is amazing in its, in its complexity because it covers so much, it top, the way it touches on so much. And when I first read that, that paragraph, I was like, wow. I was, <laughs> Go ahead. it says, by all means, I quote, implications for the national security are of continuing importance in that the motives and ultimate intentions of these visitors remain completely unknown. 
in addition, a significant upsurge in the surveillance activity of these craft beginning in May and continuing through the autumn of this year has caused considerable concern that new developments may be imminent. It is for these reasons, as well as the obvious international and technological considerations and the ultimate need to avoid a public panic at all costs, mm. that the Majestic 12 group remains of the unanimous decision that, that imposition of the strictest security precautions should continue without interruption into the new administration. At the same time, contingency plan MJ-1949 OP top secret eyes only should be held in continued readiness should the need to make a public announcement present itself. So this is copy one of one. What did they do? Show it to each person? It wasn't really distributed. <laughs> I have been spending a room with the, you know, one collar at a time. <laughs> Put yeah. your nose in this. Read it one time. You're now leave. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, uh, when when you re reread this this mm -hmm. uh, accumulation of papers because it reiterates the importance of of uh, keeping this quiet and the national security implications. Yeah, I Which mean, as much as the government can always use that as a guise to hide behind, I mean, it, there is our actual national security as well. <laughs> yeah, and the very fact that the National Security Act was signed soon after the Roswell crash, uh, with the formation of the Central Intelligence Agency being put into effect, mm -hmm. all in the last few months of 1947, is very significant. I think it's not by accident, it's too coincidental that the United States Army Air Corps was, was reconstituted into the United States Air Force to monitor those objects that were flying around and to keep that information classified too. All the pilots were not allowed to speak about the subject. And all of a sudden, two, three years later, we started getting reports from pilots off the coast of California mm. making video uh, mm. revelations of these objects moving and... Uh, capturing their, uh, their commentary on, on these objects' movements. Uh, quite, quite amazing. When I first saw it, I said to myself, either these, these videos are being released as a, a test for the public's uh, reaction on these mm -hmm. objects, or, or was this an accident that they got to, the, uh, to be released? But uh, they, they, they sure provided a lot of uh, inquiry because the, these these videos have been all over the place. They've been on all these channels, and people are talking yeah, according about according to uh, Louis Alexander. Yes, who has many more exist. Yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that's starting to leak out, and uh, it could be intentional, and uh, it could be accidental. But uh, American, uh, the world is going to be uh, blown away when uh, when we get the truth finally revealed to us. That's right. And although we don't leak a lot of stuff here, what we do is re-leak. Yeah. We re-leak and re-leak. And that's what we do. We we try well, to bring you a little well, tidbits. Well, trust me on this uh, this podcast, I will try to focus on the truth. And uh, in spite of the uh, crazy uh, significance of this subject, um, it is it is true. <laughs> so that's the hard part. Uh, just uh, swallowing it and saying, wow, gee, it is true. Yeah, I, I, we will. We will yeah. see you. Uh, I think you take that in doses too. You we know. will see you uh, next week.
and hopefully you'll have some uh, questions that we could uh, answer. And uh, yeah, keep your eyes open. By all means, and up too, and up in an upward uh, uh, angle. And let's pray. And let's pray for the people in Ukraine. 